Well, praise the Lord. Thank you, ladies, for that. John chapter 18 this morning, we're going to forge ahead in our study uh, of the Gospel of John. And so I'm going to ask you to join me there um, this morning. You know, every now and then as a, as a pastor, I understand that the most important part of any church service is the preaching of the Word of God. I get that. I don't say that arrogantly. I understand that from the Scriptures but there are sometimes after a service like that, I get up here and it's like, man, you're just in the way. And um, so I hope that's not the case today. Uh, you know, every now and then God just decides to move in and stay a little while. And um, I love it. I love it. I'm a, I'm a crier. I'm not ashamed of that. Um, it's who I am. And um, I tell you, sometimes I just get overwhelmed. Just with God's grace and God's goodness. When I, we talked in our Bible study class this morning about sometimes how we feel so unworthy. We don't feel like we can bring things to God because we've failed Him so much and we've, we've disappointed Him so much and we've let Him down so much. And we were reminded in our class today that, that yeah, we have, but God doesn't give us grace because we deserve it. Grace is not about what is deserved. Grace is about what God does even though we don't deserve it. And I tell you, I, wow, what a day, what a day. Lord's help, I want to preach to you this morning on dealing with injustice. Dealing with injustice. Injustice is obviously the opposite of justice which is to do which has to do with conforming to rightfulness or lawfulness that's what justice is when justice is served it's it conforms to what is right and and to what is lawful it it means to to be just means to be grounded in in what is fair and what is true Here's another definition, the faithful administration of deserved punishment or reward. As we look at the everyday happenings in our society, it's not hard to see that neither punishment nor reward are often faithfully administered. And when they're not, that's injustice. Injustice occurs in a number of places. Some of you here this morning may have been the victim of injustice at work. Maybe a, a, a wrongful dismissal or a wrongful write-up. Uh, justice was not served. It happens at work. Some of you may have suffered injustice in a, in a marriage or on a team or sadly even in a church setting, meaning that you experienced something again that was just not right. It was not lawful, it, it was unfair, it, it wasn't true. And please understand me this morning, I, I do not say this flippantly at all. 
But injustice is a part of life that we just have to deal with because it's a result of living in a fallen world. But what a day that will be. No more injustice. Everything will be right. Everything will be lawful. Everything will be fair. Everything will be true one day. However, the fact that we live in a fallen world and we do have to deal with injustice, wasn't that didn't keep the Lord from condemning it. And certainly it doesn't give us a license to perpetrate it. So then, well, you know, it's just who I am. It's just why I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. You know, listen, that's not an excuse for perpetrating injustice. Now, when we think of some of the great injustices that have occurred throughout the history of the world, things like the Holocaust and the use of chemical weapons by governments on their own people and the bombing of the Murrah Building in Oklahoma City and certainly the, the, the fearful and faithful events of September the 11th, 2001, we may find it hard to believe that there could have been any greater injustice than those. But I would suggest to you this morning that the trial of Jesus perpetrated the greatest injustice of all time, which was the cross. On the cross, the just, that's Jesus, died for the unjust. That's us. I'm talking the sinless, the innocent, the undefiled, hung there in the place of the sinful and the guilty and the unclean. That, my friends, is injustice at its worst. If you put all four Gospels together, you'll find that Jesus went through six different trials. One before Annas, one before Caiaphas, one before the Sanhedrin. That would have been all of the religious leaders. He also went through a trial before Pilate. Then he was sent to Herod. Then he was sent back to Pilate. Six trials are what Jesus had to endure. For time's sake this morning, we're going to jump into John chapter 18, beginning in verse 12. But let me briefly explain what happened leading up uh, to this point. Uh, Jesus had been in the upper room with the disciples. We've studied all of that. We've learned much from that, I hope. He's now left uh, the upper room with the 11 remaining disciples. We know that Judas was a traitor and he had already gone. Well, on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus and the eleven meet up with Judas and a number of soldiers armed with swords and clubs and they eventually took Jesus into custody as we read in verse 12. Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus 
and bound him. Verse 13, and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Skip to verse 19, if you would. Those other verses we'll cover, Lord willing, next Sunday. But look at verse 19. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered in verse 20, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with a palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest. Now as I said a moment ago, if you put all of the Gospels together, there were six trials in all. And as you begin to study those trials, you you realize that there were at least, I'm saying there may have been more, but there were at least eight major injustices in those trials. And so I want to give those to you this morning with a little bit of explanation. The first one that you find is that the initial trial was in private at night. The problem with that is that their law stated and that, should, that it should have been held uh, between morning worship and the evening meal in order for it to be a legitimate trial. And the law required that it be held in public. Now why do you suppose they would have held Jesus' trial at night in private? I would submit to you this morning that it was because there were thousands of people who loved Jesus and who adored Jesus, and there was no way that they could have rallied the crowd to call for his crucifixion had they not gotten a guilty verdict first in secret. Here's a second injustice. The defendant was not supposed to be allowed to incriminate himself. We have that same law today. The Fifth Amendment of the Constitution protects a person from self-incrimination. In other words, you don't have to say anything that may lead to your own conviction. We call that what, church? Pleading the Fifth. You've heard that in some of these political trials that have, that have been on TV. But yet all along, Jesus was constantly badgered into speaking. He was forever pressured to say something that would incriminate him 
and could be used against him. Of course, he didn't. He never did. But still, it was a great injustice that he was forced to endure. Number three, those standing in judgment were not fair-minded and impartial. That speaks for itself. Number four, Jesus was given no defense. As a matter of fact, when he when he spoke up and and dared say something and made a comment on a simple point of order, we just read it, he was slapped in the face. Can you imagine watching your next trial or or being on a jury at at some trial and, and one of the lawyers says, I object, and all of a sudden, bam! Depending on which side you're in, that wouldn't be too bad. I'll leave it right there. But boom, out of nowhere, he gets slapped. That's not fair. That's injustice. Jesus was given no defense. Number five, there were no witnesses called in defense of Jesus. And how many of you know this morning that that there would have been hundreds, if not thousands of people who would have gladly stood on Jesus' side and given testimony to his worthiness? I'm talking about people that he had taught, people that he had saved, people that he had healed, people that he had literally uh, 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 brought back from the dead. I thought about this this week. Can you imagine if they would have put Lazarus on the stand? (laughs) you imagine what Lazarus would have had to say about this man named Jesus? You don't know the story of Lazarus. John chapter 11, read it. It's amazing. He was dead. I mean, D-E-A-D, dead. And Jesus brought him back out of the tomb, out of the grave. But he never got that chance because the trial was held in the middle of the night in secret. Number six, all the witnesses were supposed to agree. The witnesses that were called, there were no, not, none called in defense of Jesus. There were a number called to testify against Jesus. And those that were called were not for Jesus. They were against him. But even at that, if you read the, 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 the synoptic gospels, then you understand that they couldn't even get their story straight. They couldn't even tell the same story. Number seven, the trial lasted past the verdict. Two times, Pilate said, I find no fault in him. He's innocent, not guilty. Yet the trial went on because the people would not accept that verdict. And then number eight, there was supposed to be a sentencing procession. Had they done things rightfully and lawfully, Jesus would have ridden on the back of a horse to his execution. There would have been a man walking in front of him, reading the name of the accused and reading what he had been accused, the crime that he had been accused of committing and, 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 and yelling out, crying out, is there anyone who wants to testify on this man's behalf? That way, like as in our judicial system, 
everything would be slanted toward innocent until proven guilty. But all of that, in a huge act of injustice, was thrown out the window. I'm telling you this morning, this was the greatest miscarriage of justice ever carried out against an innocent human being. Every principle of judicial fairness was tossed aside. It just didn't matter. Eight injustices of Jesus' trial. What a travesty. Look at verse 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they, they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, and there's some preaching right there, I'll leave it alone, but Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, if he was not a criminal, then we would not have delivered him unto thee. In other words, listen, dude, don't worry about the details. Don't get all, don't get all wound up in the facts here. All you need to know is that this man's a criminal, and that's why we're here. That is what we would call today a logical fallacy. A logical fallacy is a mistake in reasoning that renders an argument invalid. For example, if you haven't noticed, I am bald. I am a preacher. Therefore, all preachers are bald. Is that right? No, that's an illogical or a logical fallacy. So look at the leader's logical fallacy here. Listen, dude, we only bring bad people to you. We brought this man to you. Therefore, he must be a bad man. That was their argument. That was the best they could offer. And look at Pilate's response in verse 31. Take ye him and judge him according to your law. It's like, yeah, I'm done. I'm through. This is silly. This makes absolutely no sense. Go. Get out of here. Go, go deal with him among your own people. The Jews said, therefore, unto him, it is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Well, how about that? Didn't stop them when they stoned Stephen. Remember that, book of Acts? Didn't, didn't stop them when they put a man to death in their own synagogue. You read about that in Matthew chapter 23, and all of a sudden it's, well, it's, it's just not lawful. We, it's illegal for us to put anybody to death. Come on. It wasn't that they had a problem killing Jesus. It was the fact that Jesus 
was so popular that if they were to kill him, <laughs> it would have caused a massive uprising that would have led to insurrection. Oh, no, 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 listen this morning. They wanted to kill Jesus. You, you better bet on that fact. They wanted so badly to kill Jesus themselves, but they knew they couldn't. So eight injustices. Now here's the question, how did Jesus handle all of that? How did he deal with that? And what can we learn from it? Well, he handled them perfectly. Absolutely flawlessly. And here's the first thing that we need to learn. Here's the first thing he did. When you're dealing with an injustice, let others speak in your defense. It's instructive in verse 19 when the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his doctrine. He responded by saying, listen, I, I've, spoken, I've spoken nothing in secret. Everything I've said in the synagogues, I've said openly. I've spoken clearly. I've spoken plainly. So why don't you go ask those people that heard me? Well, Pastor, why didn't Jesus take the opportunity to defend himself there? Because one of the most difficult things to do when you're the victim of some kind of injustice is to speak for yourself. So if you say something like, well, I was there. I did hear that. I didn't do that. People automatically accuse you of just protecting yourself. You're just trying to cover your own tail. It's just really, really difficult to speak in your own defense. That's why Jesus didn't even try. Had he tried to answer the question about his disciples, they would have said, you're just a liar. Had he tried to explain uh, what he taught, they would have argued with him, and, and they would have called him a blasphemer, as they did. Because, as we know, his teaching was, I'm God. I am the Savior. There is no other Savior. I am the Messiah. And that's why he got killed. So he knew it wasn't going to do any good. For him to try to defend himself. Jesus would have been casting pearls before swine at that point, And he knew that. And so he just wasn't going to go there. He just wasn't going to do it. And listen. He wasn't going to waste his time. Trying to explain himself to someone who was committed to misunderstanding him. If you don't take anything else away from today, listen to that again. You and I are wasting our time when we try to explain ourselves to someone who is absolutely committed to misunderstanding us. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your breath. Again, we're casting our pearls before swine. And by the way, not wasting your time trying to defend yourself to people who are committed to misunderstanding you also means, listen, you don't have to answer every text. Hello? 
You don't have to answer every text. You don't have to answer or, or even read every email. You see who it's from? Eh, trash can. You don't have to answer every call. You don't have to, you don't have to listen to every voicemail. You don't even have to engage in a social media battle. Can I get a witness right there? Amen? You, you, don't have to, you don't have to wade into that nonsense. You don't have to respond to every snarky word that is spoken to you or spoken about you. Listen, if you're trying to defend yourself to somebody who is absolutely committed to misunderstanding you, you will never get anywhere. Leave it alone. Here's a couple of Bible verses that I believe supports what I'm saying. Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5, real quick. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly lest he be wise in his own conceit. Eh, contradiction. The Bible's not true. The Bible's not real. It's filled with contradictions, and there's one of them. <laughs> Absolutely not. Here's what Solomon was saying. When dealing with the kind of foolish person that I've just described to you, who commits an injustice toward you, if you are going to respond... Solomon says, respond one time with a firm word of rebuke just to let them know they're an idiot. Now, that's not in there. I just threw that in there. But do not keep arguing with them because then you are going to be reduced to nothing but foolishness yourself. Remember what Abraham Lincoln said? Better to be remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. It's nothing but an exercise in futility to try and argue with and to change the mind of a fool. Are you listening this morning? Proverbs 17.10, a reproof entereth uh, more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. In other words, you can tell a fool the same thing a hundred times and they'll never listen and they'll never learn. Because they remember they're committed to misunderstanding you. And if they ever do learn, it's only after they've gone through some very difficult times brought on by their own foolishness. Listen, it wouldn't have mattered what Jesus would have said. It would not have mattered. His accusers were not going to be convinced of anything other than he was a blasphemer and was worthy of death. One more thing here before I move on. Look at verses 28 through 32. This is Jesus before Pilate. I asked this question a couple weeks ago. Who has a red-letter Bible? Red-letter Bible. Justin, you got a red-letter Bible? Look at those verses, verse 28 through 32. Five verses, I think. How many red letters are in there? Ah! 
Zero. Zilcho. Nada. Zippo. Jesus didn't say anything. He knew it wasn't going to do any good. And sometimes when you and I are the victims of some kind of injustice, that's our best play. Just let them stand over and, and, and yap their lips. Just let them do what they're going to do. Let others speak on your behalf. The second thing we need to do when dealing with injustice is set some boundaries as to what we will and will not allow. And this is somewhat of a balancing truth to the first one. It's okay to set some boundaries and say, I'll allow this, but I won't tolerate that. I'll go this far, but no further. In my mind, I'm thinking this. You can talk about me all you want to. If you start talking about my wife, you start talking about my kids, I am going to respond. I will go nose to nose and toe to toe. My wife does not belong in this. My kids do not belong in this. This is me. If your issue is with me, then keep your issue with me. So there are some times when we need to set some boundaries. And yeah, you can talk about me all you want to, but don't go there. Back in verse 22, when, when one of the men struck Jesus with his hand. I mean, think about it. Based on Jesus' own teaching, what would you have expected Jesus to do at that point? Turn the other cheek. But when you clearly understand what Jesus was teaching over there in the Sermon on the Mount, you know that he wasn't teaching that we should just give ourselves a, some kind of human punching bag. He wasn't teaching uh, pacifism. He wasn't teaching for us to be a, a doormat. At the point of being uh, slapped in the face, Jesus said, in essence, that's enough. There's the boundary. That's enough. If you think I've spoken something evil, if you think I've spoken something blasphemous and an error, then tell me what it is. If not, then why did you hit me? You see, he drew a boundary there. No, it's stopping right here. Let me give you a couple of examples of what I mean by setting some boundaries. There may come a time when you have to, to say to your boss, listen, if this doesn't stop, if something doesn't change, I just can't work here anymore. You may have to say to a friend, listen, I love you and I cherish our friendship, but at this point, I can't keep letting you take advantage of me. I cannot continue to enable your bad behavior toward me. It's not fair. You may have to say to someone in your own family at some point, what you're doing is harming this family. It's not right and it's not fair that we keep getting hurt over and over again. So we're just going to distance ourselves for a little while. See, you get that? Here's another way to think about it. When the us, whether it's a church, whether it's a family or, or, or in a workplace, when the us is threatened by the you, then we're going to have to set some boundaries. When the majority starts to be ill-affected by the minority, we need to start setting some boundaries. 
So let others speak in your defense. Number two, set some boundaries as to what you will allow. Here's the third thing to consider when dealing with injustice. Establish the source of the accusation. Chapter 18, verse 33. Still with me? All right. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself? Or did others tell thee of me? This is an important point. Instead of answering Pilate, Jesus asked him, Where'd you hear that? Because Jesus knew full well that Pilate would never come up with that on his own. He would have never known that on his own. He knew that somebody was feeding him this stuff. And so he just asked him, where'd you learn that? Where'd you hear that? So Jesus is going after the source of the accusation. He wanted to know where this stuff was coming from. He wanted to know who Pilate had been listening to. He was establishing the source of the accusation. It's amazing. It's amazing how otherwise smart and intelligent people can read something or hear something or see something on Facebook and automatically believe it. A couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, somebody posted something on Facebook that Liberal was going to become an ICE detention city and that the feds were going to build a wired fence all around the community. And people believe that. Police. I mean, it was going crazy. Come on, folks, let's dial up the discernment a little bit. Please. And by the way, for those who don't know, if you see anything on Facebook by Babylonian B, like this church built a Twisty slide down into the baptistry. When you read something that outrageous, if it has Babylonian B on the bottom of it, just know they're having fun. It's not real, so don't share it. <laughs> because people like me look at people like that and go, duh. I would never do it publicly, but in my mind, I'm going, dude, serious. If that's the case, i, I got to sell you some things. <laughs> if someone says something about you, establish the source. And begin by questioning them, well, where did you hear that? And oftentimes, here's what you're going to find out. They really didn't hear that from anybody else. It's their own accusation. They're just blaming it on somebody else. And it's usually something like this. Oh, well, I promised I wouldn't tell. Do not get wrapped up in that nonsense. Don't go there. Well, I'm fine. I, whatever. Just, you can't get wrapped up in that. Here's a fourth thing to consider when dealing with injustice. Seek what's best for the kingdom of God. Seek what's best for the kingdom of God. But preach, it's an injustice. I'll get there. Verse 35. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight 
that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not of this world. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. For everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Listen, Jesus was not willing to get involved in a battle that in the end would not have served the Father's purpose. He knew what his purpose was. He knew that his purpose was to die on a cross, to pay for the sins of the whole world, to be buried for three days, to rise again, and eventually send, ascend back to heaven. That was his purpose. He didn't come to establish an earthly kingdom. So he was not going to get embroiled in a fight that wasn't really his anyway. Are you listening? When treated unjustly, think before you respond. Ask yourself, how will this affect the kingdom of God? What kind of impact will this have on my testimony as a Christian? How does this serve my purpose for being here. You know what? In the grand scheme of eternal things, some injustices are just better off endured, knowing that one day God will set the record straight. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. There are just some fights that we don't need to be fighting, folks. Not as believers, not as God's people, not our folks who, who are in concern about the kingdom. But pastor, it's the principle of the thing. I get that. I get that. But what purpose does standing for that principle serve God's kingdom as opposed to satisfying your pride? Think about it. If standing serves the kingdom of God well, then by all means stand. But if all it's doing is, is satisfying your own sense of pride and arrogance, and I will win, drop it. Let it go. You're not serving the kingdom well. Fair enough? Now don't ask me if I always practice what I preach. I admitted last week I'm not the perfect pastor. And these are some lessons I've had to learn the hard way. And it brought reproach upon the name of Christ and upon the work of God. And it's not worth it, folks. Again, let me say, if standing serves the kingdom well, then by all means, stand. But if all it's doing is satisfying your sense of pride, then let it go. Because you will not serve the kingdom well. Here's the last thing. Somebody say amen. 
Remember, I kid him. Remember that you will never face an injustice like what Jesus faced. Verse 38. Pilate saith unto them, What is truth? There's a message. And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and saith unto him, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one of the Passover. Now this is what makes sense to, to Pilate. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? And they cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. No, we don't, we don't want this innocent man. We don't want this undefiled man. We don't want this holy man. We don't want this perfect man. We don't want this kind, loving man. We want the robber. What kind of justice is that? There is no justice in that. That is the height of injustice. Barabbas was guilty, Jesus was not guilty, yet Jesus died in his place. Now stop and think about that. That's the gospel right there. That's the gospel. Jesus, the just, the sinless, dying in the place of you and me, the guilty, the sinful. What a great story. Jesus did not deserve to hang on the cross. You and I deserve to hang on the cross. But Jesus died in our place. I'm telling you, there has never been a greater injustice perpetrated on a more undeserving person than what happened to Jesus. And I, I'm not saying this morning, please understand me, I am not saying this morning that what you may have suffered wasn't painful or what you may be going through right now is not hurting. That's not what I'm saying this morning. But how does it compare to what happened to Jesus? That's all. How does it compare to nails in the hands? Stripes on the back, nails in the feet, crown of thorns on the head, hit in the face, spit upon, a spear in the side. Come on. Whatever injustice we've, we've faced, how does it compare to that? So here's the invitation today. First, to the lost. What we just looked at, what I just described, is only the beginning of the injustices that Jesus suffered while on his way to the cross. And that doesn't even cover what he went through while on the cross. It's almost unfathomable. But here's the deal, as I said a moment ago, 
He did it for you. He died so you could live. And his invitation to you today is to come and receive the free gift of eternal life that he died to give you. And to the saved, I would simply ask you this morning, are you handling any current injustices or how are you handling any current injustices or how have you handled injustice in the past? As you think about that, answer these questions. What did it say about you as a Christian? Did you impact the cause of Christ in a positive way or in a negative way? Because it matters. People are watching, and it matters. Let's pray.